You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 12, getting ready for the 2018-19 school year. In this episode, we give some advice for new teachers, things that they could do to help them get started on their educational journey. We go over some Google Slide activities. We also address some of the start of the year activities, things that you should do, things that you shouldn't do. And finally, we wrap up with our next tech battle royale. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Got Tech. Hey, Nick, how's it going? What's up, guys? How you doing? Good. How was your vacation? It was awesome. Yeah, my wife and I just got back from vacation, did a little hiking, a little backpacking, camping. It was uh, extremely relaxing and awesome. That's like my favorite thing to do. Did you leave your phones at home? We had them, but they were off, which is actually the best part. I was more excited about actually turning the phone off than anything because it was just like this complete breath of fresh air to get away from the tech for a little bit. Even though we do a Got Tech show, it's kind of nice to just kind of sort of power down and uh, enjoy life for what it is. Everyone needs to do that. So today, let's talk a little bit about advice for new teachers. I'm a part of several online social media groups when it comes to technology and teaching and, and things like that. And a lot of the questions that I see on there come from new teachers. They're going to be in the classroom for the first time this year, and they're going to, uh, they want to know what we're doing. They want to know what everyone's doing. What should they do this year that is going to help them out? Do we have any advice for them? Yeah. I mean, we've all been through it. Being a new teacher is really tough. You're super busy and you're doing something totally new and something really difficult. And it's hard to know the best ways to accomplish everything. So I think we've got a pretty good list uh, of things we can offer to new teachers, starting with what might be the most important tip for any teacher, maybe, is, and you could argue that, but just simply getting to know your students. And there's some great ways that ed tech can help you with that. But however you do it, I think getting to know your students is just really important to establish a rapport, build a relationship because without that you really can't run an effective classroom. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, this should be something that starts on the first day. And I know some uh, elementary teachers that send letters out to their students or emails or something like that, uh, just introducing themselves and and stuff like that. And it kind of gets that connection started a little early, but uh, it drives me nuts when I go into a classroom and the first thing that I'm told is how I'm not supposed to behave. Right. And I, I don't know. The to rules me, day, right? You go in and you get all the rules. And you get it like seven times if you're in high school, seven, eight times that, that day. Right. So I don't know. I, I think it should be some type of personalized activity where, you know, maybe kids are creating a, a avatar on class craft or if that's your management system that you're going to use for behavior. The other thing is... Uh, you can i remember in fifth grade now this isn't tech related but you can easily make it tech related you uh we made these dream catchers but instead of catching dreams we were catching things that we were interested in oh that's really cool so i'm sure that you can make a template of a dream catcher on like a google slide or something like that how about you do a a flip grid where every every kid records themselves talking about what their dream catcher dream would be and they post it to that grid and that would be your opening activity all good stuff. So I, w- I would say keep it simple. And all these platforms uh, are pretty simple if you 
take a couple of minutes to get familiar with them. Right. So let's go to the next one. Another piece of advice I would have is to be flexible at school and at home. And the biggest thing with this is it's very easy for a young teacher to get caught up in their work and 24-7 it's their work and over the weekend they're doing work. And my biggest piece of advice is to carve out chunks of time for yourself to do what you like to get a breather it's kind of like you going on a vacation you you put the cell phone down you put the technology down you did something that you enjoyed and you probably came back feeling refreshed yeah and uh that's kind of the same thing. My piece of advice is to every once in a while, just do something that interests you. Get out. Make sure you take that time for yourself. And I know that this doesn't really uh, involve technology, but you, you just need to take that time for yourself to get refreshed for a new week. Yeah. Well, teaching, especially new teachers, it's like a 24-7 job almost. I mean, you're that you, when you're at work, obviously, you're dealing with kids and running your lessons, but you go home and you're trying to scramble and plan for the next day because it's the first time you've taught that lesson before then somewhere in there you're trying to grade papers the only time you're really not thinking about it is when you're sleeping but even then you're probably having some dreams hopefully not nightmares but could be about what's gonna <laughs> right about what's gonna I've had them you know what I mean where you can't I remember when I was a student I used to have nightmares that I was gonna forget my homework and then as a teacher I have nightmares every once in a while that the class is like gonna go super bad or the lesson's not gonna work and it's gonna be like mayhem and so it's like this 24-7 thing so you really do have to build in some time uh, for yourself and to make life easy we think um, one of our big things that got is of course blended learning and that really allows for some flexibility for teachers and I think new teachers could get into that a little bit as well just using the tech to make your life easier if you've got a good video that you know your students can watch at home maybe that's a little bit less planning for you for next day's lesson because you know they're coming to class prepared and all you have to do is come up with some sort of learning activity learning task for them to complete Uh, might take the edge off a little bit all sorts of auto graders exist right now you just have to google that and you'll find tons of them that work really well well, uh, chances are pretty good that your school has some kind of learning and management system now with online quizzing. So it takes some of that grading element away. Just little things you'll find along the way that work for you to make life uh, simpler and easier. So let's move on to the next one. This is probably the piece of advice that made the most sense to me after I was already in seven years of teaching. Like, I wish I would have done this earlier. And I did to a sense, but not to the degree that it would uh, really strengthen my skills. And I came out of college thinking I was going to conquer the world. I was going to make everyone an A student. I was going to uh, come into class. Everyone's going to love me you know, kind of the new person, the young person attitude that I could just save the world, accomplish anything I want. And that quickly came to an end, like maybe day three. (laughs) And I had to get over it and I had to learn how to deal with that. So my piece of advice is to find someone that you can work with, a colleague that you can work with uh, that maybe has more experience than you. Find a mentor, build professional relationships within your school, and don't be afraid to ask for help. The best way to strengthen your skills is to encompass all those skills from everyone else. Get their strength and make it your strength. And take your strength and teach that to someone else, and that's how everyone gets better. So don't be afraid to go up to your department supervisor and ask for advice, because they're the department supervisor for a reason. Don't be afraid to go ask the teacher that's been teaching for 20 years, you know, to what's your favorite activity on photosynthesis? I picked photosynthesis because that was my least favorite subject to teach within the biology curriculum. Right. And I did that. It took me six years to do it, seven years to do it. I asked for an activity from a colleague. We made up one and now it's more fun. 
I think the sooner you can do that, the better. Like you said, ideally, you don't want to start that process six, seven years in, but it should also make sure it's a teacher that teaches in a way that you aspire to also, because you don't want to get bogged down with somebody who's not super positive or is not trying new things if you want to be a teacher who does try new things, because that'll that'll always kind of push you. I know I like to surround myself with teachers who push the limit because it drives me to feel like I should always be recreating and redoing. Um, and I think that's kind of the best way to go about it, to make sure that you're always innovating and trying new stuff stuff. Yeah, so I just got done saying that I wanted to save the world and that was my mentality coming in. If I had to go through the interview process again and someone asked me that same question where I said that I'm I'm pumped, ready to go, ready to be the best teacher, I can save the world, you know, those type of things and it sounds ridiculous now when you think back to it. And really it is. But now I would say, "Hey, I'm going to learn from my mistakes and I'm not going to be afraid to fail." Because that right there is the growth statement. The students are going to appreciate you trying something new, trying something different. And you know what? If it flops, if it's no good, you can recognize that it isn't any good. And then you have 179 more days to make up that one day of sloppy lesson. Absolutely. Um, Let's talk about, for me, this is the hardest one. Um, That is managing your classroom a certain way. And you've trying to find that boundary between being fair but also being firm. So hard for a new teacher. Yeah, when I came in, I, I was told, don't smile until Thanksgiving. I hate that. Yeah, I think that's dumb. It's a bad, I, I get where that comes from because a lot of times new teachers, you try to be, or can be overly concerned with being liked by your students or seeming, I, I hate to say like the cool teacher, but like the young, you know, you're young, you're new, you want people to like you, you think if you're too, I don't know, strict or mean, then the students aren't going to like you and it's just going to spiral out of control. But there is a line. You have to do that a little bit. You definitely should smile. I was going to mention, one. I was going to mention in the line between friend and teacher. Uh, It's very hard for for younger teachers, but it is attainable. You got to realize that you're young and you need to use that to your advantage because as we get older and more years under our belt, we're also getting further away from students and it's sometimes harder to relate to them. Yeah, you lose that perspective of what it's like to be a student. And you have all this stuff in front of you, pop culture and everything. You're closer in age. You understand each other. uh, You have that connection. You need to use that and build off of it. But at the same time, you got to make sure that they know that you are the teacher and they are the student. The, the whole likable thing will come. Yep. The more that you relate with them, the more that you show them that you care, and the more that you just be yourself, the more they're going to respect you and relate to you and sure. like you. That's going to come naturally. That's what I'm trying to say. It'll come over time. And it's, I wish there was like a, you know, some tip that we could throw out there that would do it for all the new teachers and you'd have it figured out from day one. It's just not going to work like that. Mostly because everybody has their own line. I've, I've got my kind of niche or niche that I've finally settled into. Uh, the boundary for me between being fair and firm that I've finally, I think that just the past few years actually probably took me seven years to figure this out between fair and firm. And in some ways, I'm still adjusting that. Uh, But you just have to trust that you will figure it out. I think the one thing you can set for yourself as a new teacher is deciding on some things where you really don't bend all that much, because I think the students need to see, at least in some ways, that you will you won't budge on certain really important things where there's almost no exception or no excuse or no time where you should have like a workaround for them. I don't know what those are. Again, that's going to depend on the teacher, but they should know that they cannot manipulate you in every way possible. Absolutely. Uh, The next one that we have for you is to learn how to better yourself. And you don't want to be overwhelmed by this. You don't want to take on too many things. 
Yeah. You want to improve one thing. And as you make these small improvements over time, it's going to make you better as a whole. And I will tell you my biggest weakness, hands down, and I think this is for young teachers, more experienced teachers, everything, is how we ask questions in the classroom. And that's a skill that takes time. And really, if you learn something from this podcast today, learn how to not give students the answer. Learn how to, I call them deflection questions. Right. So if someone asks you something, you want to give them three options, all right? The option of asking one of their peers, going to find the research, or the third one, just trying to reason it out a little bit. And uh, the biggest suggestion I could give you here is when someone asks you a question, especially if you already stated like directions or something like that, I always say, did you ask three before me? And did all those three people say that they didn't know? Yeah. And that's a pretty good indicator. If someone could tell them, that's great. You don't need to do it, and that will become a habit within the school environment, within your classroom, is uh, you tell them three before me, and then they'll they'll catch on to that after the first quarter, and then the next three quarters, they'll ask three people before you, all right? Whether it's asking a person, asking the computer, looking it up in a book, finding a resource, they're going to do that, and then you'll start getting more and more uh, in-depth questions, and then you learn how to deflect those to promote learning, and that's a big one. Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, I would also say for bettering yourself as a new teacher, that might be better served, at least for me, it would have been sort of waiting till the summer after your first year. When you're in it, you're just trying to make sure you've got the best lessons possible every day, building relationships with other teachers to help you get through. Uh, but once that first summertime hits, really hang on to that that motivation and do some free online PDs. We talked about a bunch of them in our last episode, and there that's just an extremely small percentage of what's out there. But really use the summertime to reflect and decide what you're your new goals are going to be for the coming year. So we've given you a couple pieces of advice uh, for new teachers or newer teachers. Maybe even more experienced teachers can pick up on something. We are always looking for ways to improve. So if you guys want to hit us up on Twitter at We Got Tech, we'd love to hear some of the pieces of advice that you have for us that we did not mention. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at We Got Teched. All right, so a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, I should say, we started off by going over Google Docs and some ways that we use Google Docs. And we may talk about a couple add-ons and a couple extensions along the way, but for the most part, we just want to give you some ideas about how we've used Google Docs in our previous episode, but now we are on Google Slides. So we're going to just go over a couple of ideas, how you could use Google Slides and maybe push out something that you haven't tried before. So I'll kick it off. I started doing this way back when our school first kind of adopted the whole Google platform and the kids got Chromebooks. Before I really researched any of the tools that were already out there for teachers like the Flipgrids, the Edpuzzles, I didn't know about any of that stuff. I just wasn't familiar with this whole world. Um, so my response to that is, well, I'm just going to make my own stuff, make my own interactive things. So one of the things I came up with is creating a Google Slides. We've, we've been calling it like a choose your own adventure kind of a thing because it lets a student kind of interactively click through a Google slide that has been embedded within a Google Sites because of course the two Google features work really nicely together. Uh, so the way it works is if you've got a website, especially if it's a Google site, this will work really great. You pretty much just make a slides presentation, just like if you can, if you know PowerPoint, just imagine a PowerPoint where you click through the slides, Google slides, 
does the same thing, except it's embedded within the website. Um, so to the student, it just looks like any, like almost like a tutorial that they can click through. So when you click within the frame of the slide, it advances to the next slide. So if I'm viewing this, I can just click click, click, and it takes me from one slide to the next. That by itself is, would be like probably the simplest use of that. I don't care for that because it's, it's not super interactive for the student. They're really just clicking through a slide presentation. Uh, where I think this really comes to life is, and this is where Google Slides is so awesome, uh, you can hyperlink um, from one slide to other slides in the presentation uh, by clicking different images, pictures, and words within one slide. So that's kind of a mouthful. I'll try and choose uh, an an example just to kind of explain to everybody one way that I did this. So I made one for my students on Atoms and I think we might try to get a link for this up in the show notes because it's on my class website so people can go check it out to see it and play with it if you want to. Um, lesson on Atoms. So real big on one of the Google slides I put a picture of an atom so you can see the nucleus with the protons and the neutrons. They can see the electrons. Fine. There you go. Well you can designate areas of the slide, different images within the slide so that when you hover your mouse over them you click on them. So this particular one, if a student hovers their mouse over the nucleus, they can click on the nucleus and when they do, it automatically directs them to a different slide where it gives them information on the nucleus. And then they read about it to get information there. There's a little back button within that slide and they click back and it takes them back to the image of the atom they started at. Then they can click on an electron and it takes them to a different slide where they read about the electron, click the back button and it kind of progresses in this way. Um, there's kind of a lot to creating these. A little bit tough for me to get into it now. I do think this is something that I may push out on our website, gottech.com eventually, sort of a how-to guide. But if anybody's interested in checking out one that I've created and figuring out how to do this, um, again, check out the show notes. We'll have a link there for you to see it. It's just kind of like an, a really like a do-it-yourself way to make something interactive for your students to click on what they are interested in or move at their own pace as they gather some information. All right. So I think that is awesome. It's almost like a hyperdocs in a slideshow. So yeah. you're bringing everything into that uh, Google Slides that you would normally send people off of a hyperdoc to go do. Exactly. And I think that's awesome. That's cool. All right, so mine is Q&A in presentation mode for slides. So you're able to have your students log in to your presentation through a URL. And as you go over that presentation, they can type in questions and then vote on whether they think that's a good question or a bad question. Now, there's a couple things that I have to point out here. So if I'm giving a presentation to a bunch of middle schoolers or maybe even ninth, 10th graders, could be younger, could be older, it, it, it doesn't matter. You need to make sure that you have a positive working climate with your students, meaning they understand the expectations that you're not supposed to put anyone down while you're doing this. It has to be appropriate. It has to be on topic. So what I do is I make sure that my students sign in. And that's a big thing. They use their Google accounts uh, through school and they sign in because then they're held responsible because their name uh, comes uh, shows up underneath their question. So someone that is watching my presentation all right, for example, if I'm having a PowerPoint on photosynthesis and plants are making sugars, that's what they do. They make sugars using sunlight. And little Johnny, who's sitting in the back, has a question about how that happens. He doesn't get that process. And he wants to write in a suggestion or a question. He wants to say, can you please go over how the plant gets enough energy to make that sugar or what that process looks like? He could type that in and the name underneath that question will be little Johnny Henderson. And 
then other people in the class can see that question he's asking. And there's a thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up means I want to know I have that same concern. I want to, I want more feedback on that question. I want you to go over that question again. Thumbs down means I'm okay. So maybe you see that little Johnny in the back asked this question. He's the only one that really wants to go over that question. You can choose to say, I'm not going to go over that question right now. I'm going to wait till later. So I'm presenting up there. They have a little code that gets them to the presentation. They're following along, asking questions, voting whether or not they understand that or they need more information on that. And then other, other students can kind of ask questions as well. And as the teacher, the presenter, you can see where your questions are. And if, if it's something that a lot of people are wondering about, you might want to stop the lesson and you could project that question just by hitting project next to the question. And you could go over that question. Maybe you have to go back to a slide or whatever. You still can do that. And it's a useful tool for that. But I can also see this working in professional development at conferences using this tool with teachers. You give them the code, they, they sign in, they ask questions during your professional development. And then maybe at the end, that's, that's what you go over and you answer those questions. So I could see this as a big time beneficial way of getting feedback very quick and answering questions that your audience might have. Can they do this on their own? Can they go through a presentation, ask questions? Yeah, let them ask questions. And then the next day, that's what you go over. Yeah. Flip it. You can flip it a little bit. I could link that with my one of my Choose Your Own Adventure slides. So as they click through the tutorial, if they have questions, they submit them. And I just look at what they are later. I just thought of that right now. There you go. This what I mean, what you, that thing you just went over, that's that's like a no-brainer. Anybody using Google Slides to present and do a little direct instruction in their classroom, it's just, it's built in with the slide already. It's, I mean, you got to do it. It's just so simple and letting kids ask questions without interrupting and getting to them when you're ready. That's, uh, it's awesome. So the next one, we, we're not going to talk too much about this because it's pretty much the same thing we mentioned a few episodes back when we featured Google Docs. Um, but everything we said in that episode, I think it was episode eight, seven or eight about creating a hyperdoc out of a Google Doc. You can also do the same thing with a Google slide, of course, because within slides, you can highlight any, any set of words or any image and turn it into a hyperlink to direct students out to other resources. So of course, you could just do the exact same thing with Google slides. The only maybe, I don't know if it's a benefit, but only different thing that the Google slide might bring for a hyperdoc is that you can embed YouTube videos straight in the Google slide and they're actually playable in the Google slide, which I don't think you can do with Google Docs, at least not yet. Uh, in that same episode, we talked about choice boards as kind of a way to give students different options of what to complete. And the resources are all right there and clickable through the hyperlinks. So if you're feeling like getting into the hyperdoc game, think about making some hyper slides as well. All right. So the last one, and this is one that I'm currently working on, and we, we kind of got this idea from Ditch That Textbook and Matt Miller is making an ebook. And I never really thought that I would ever do something like this and make an ebook about anything because I don't really see myself as an author. All right? And sometimes when you look at ebooks, you're like, okay, that's just an online publication of a book. And you're you're turned away from that. But I saw how Matt Miller used it for 101 Ways to Ditch uh, That Textbook, the resource that you get when you sign up for his uh, subscription or newsletter on his website. And I was like, okay, this will work for a couple of the professional developments that I really wanted to make. And the one that I'm working on currently is how to make a digital escape the room step-by-step -step guide. And what it does is it takes uh, teachers through, and really, I thought of this the other day, students can do this too. 
I mean, if you really want to, if you're looking at the SAMR model, substitution, augmentation, modification, redefinition, really by getting the students to take control, you can move over to that modification, redefinition uh, range of SAMR. You're not just substituting one thing for another, or just making an augmentation to, uh, you're actually enhancing the lesson enough to modify it or redefine what education looks like. So when, when you look at it that way, this is a, it's a big deal. It's something that the teachers can use to make their own activity. And once they send the students in there, maybe the level five Spanish students make it for the level one students. And they use the same really professional development and tools to apply that to their subjects as well. Is this simple enough, you think, for a student? I mean, creating an ebook sounds like a complex process to me. I was talking more towards the digital escape the room. They can oh, right. okay. use the ebook and the resources. I see. But yes, I think students can make an ebook if they're motivated to do it and they have something that they want to do. Yeah. I think uh, ebook is for everyone. And you might say, how do you use this in Google Slides? And it's very simple. You go to file, page setup, and you change the dimensions to eight and a half by 11. Does that make each slide this like a normal eight and a half by 11 page size? Is that what that looks like? Yeah, it does. And each slide is also has its own URL address oh, as cool. well. So you could share it out in many different ways. Oh, each slide has its own different one. Yes. Wow. That's very interesting. So if I just wanted to hyperlink one page, I can do that. Yeah. And does it, I think it eventually gets pushed out as like a PDF or something, right? Yes, is that you can, the eventual? You can push the whole thing out as a PDF at the end. So right. that's a way to kind of share it both ways. All right. So hopefully that gives some, some of you guys some good ideas for incorporating Google Slides, whether you're doing a choose your own adventure, clickable tutorial, uh, just using the Q&A feature, which is so easy and built in, making hyperdocs or eBooks. Uh, hopefully one or a few of these will be helpful for you in your classroom. So I hate to say it, guys, but we are nearing the, well, for us, it's the middle of summer. This uh, July 30th is the episode release date for this current episode. And uh, we're, we're starting to, like I said, for us, kind of go over the hill here for summertime. For a lot of teachers out there, I know you're starting up uh, just in a couple weeks, maybe some within the next week. So summertime is closing out. So we thought it would be fitting in the spirit of that to talk about some activities, some hopefully new ideas for some people, uh, some ways to start off the school year when all the students come back on that first day of school what do you do how do you engage them how do you let them know what your classroom is going to be about how do you let them know what the rules and expectations are but also how do you keep them interested I know both guys and I are coming from a high school perspective and in that first day it's it's not challenging for the kids but man is it boring they sit through probably seven to eight back-to-back classes where they just hear a list of rules and procedures. We need to stop this process. This is terrible. This is the worst day of the year when it's supposed to be a, an exciting day. Right. All right. In our classrooms, especially with all these uh, technologies, one-to-one -one technologies and working with technology and working on blended learning practices, personalized learning practices, all these new, well, somewhat new things that we're throwing at them, newer 
things yeah. that we're throwing at them. We want to go back to the practice of reading off rules and stating what we're going to learn in this course. We need to find a better way of doing this. We need to incorporate this in a fun activity. What we need to do is realize that we want them to collaborate during the school year. So stop taking that first class and modeling something that you don't want to see for the rest of the year. Right. I, I'm, I mean, I remember way back to my first year teaching. I never even had, at least at high school, like the kids know the rules. Do you really, unless you've got some special things, like as a chemistry teacher, of course, there's certain like safety things that you have to go over, but they know what the rules are. And I'm sure elementary is a little bit different. You probably have to mold them a little bit more into the way school works. But especially at the middle school, high school level, you're not telling them anything they don't already know. I used to say I have three rules. Actually, one rule is just respect, respect each other, respect me and respect the school property. That's that, it. That was my exact rule. Yeah. That, that's what I did. I would say I have one one rule and that's respect yep and that will cover everything and uh one of my favorite things that i did at the beginning of the school year is i said my one rule is respect and that re means respect me the class and people learning uh, okay. and i had a girl that i knew because uh, i did a summer camp over the summer with middle schoolers right i knew her from that and i gave her a shell of a phone and i told her when you hear me say the word respect and that's my one rule, I want you to kind of act like you're texting on this phone. And she did it to a T. And I didn't know that she was in, in theater and drama and stuff like that, but she liked that. So she took out the phone and she started doing that right as I said it. And I went over and I grabbed the phone and I threw it down on the ground and I jumped up and down on it. I said, like that, she's texting while I'm trying to teach, while I'm trying to get you guys to learn something. Uh, that's disrespectful and that's how I'll handle that. And just to see everyone's faces. <laughs> I know one of our uh, awesome. colleagues that retired, he uh, was looking through the door because I told him I was going to do it. And we mm -hmm. have uh, this uh, door between the two science classrooms. We have a room there, a prep room. And he was looking through there and he, he lost it. You could hear him laughing in the prep room with two doors shut. Well, so. I think he stole the idea too, didn't I think he did it in his next couple classes after that. He found some old phones. Yeah, it, it was great. But you know what? They got a laugh out of it because, well, first they were kind of like this guy's for real scared oh yeah the looks on their faces must have been awesome but then once the word got out that it was you know staged right. then they started laughing and they kind of got a you know little preview of my humor that i used throughout the year yeah so just think about i mean i don't know if you if there really are special rules for that are unique to your class that you think you can't sum up in more than a sentence or two just kind of incorporate those as you go along it's way more effective anyways they're not memorizing the you know the 50 different rules that the teachers are throwing out at them that first day anyway so kind of approach it as you need to over the first maybe month of school rather than all on that first day. Right. And the, the next thing is, what's the second thing every teacher does on the first day? The syllabus. The syllabus. This is and, a good one. And as much as I think that the students should know what they're learning on that year, I do believe that. But yep. do you really need to go over everything on that syllabus bullet for bullet? Definitely it's kind of like a presentation and you have one slide. And you throw everything that they need to know for the whole year up there. And they're not going to memorize that. It's like a doctor performing a surgery. They're not going to know every single disease out there. And they don't need to. And they don't need to because they prep for it. And they're, they're able to reference their reference books and go back and forth. And I feel like the syllabus, yeah, give them the seven or eight major topics that you're going to go over and move on. Right. They can always look at this for themselves. They can see that uh, you grade this way. It's weighted. They yep. could see all that stuff. Yep. 
If they want to look it up, they know where it is. That's where the tech comes in for this. I, I also believe in a syllabus, especially for high school kids. But I just post it on my website and, and show them where, it's, where it is. And I say, if anybody really wants to look at the topics we're going to cover in detail, it's there for you. I'm not going to go through this now. And there actually are some kids that the ones that are interested in science, they'll look at it. You know, they give it a, they, you know, kind of scroll through. Um, but for the kids that don't care, they don't need to know that on the first day. I remember in high school, it was bad. Back when we were do- going through this stuff, teachers would just read, literally read off the page, bullet by bullet. In unit two, we're going to learn, da, 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 and just go through all of them. It's horrendous. And it's, ju- it's just a, a big waste of time, not the way you want to start off the year. All right. So we start off by rules. We start off or next by giving a syllabus. And then our next thing is this magical little card. Filling out the cards. Filling out the card, which you look at one time, you throw them in a paper clip, and you put them in your top desk drawer, and you never visit them again. We say lose the cards, right? Is that our official got tech opinion? Get those cards (laughs) out of there. Save trees, get them out of there. Find an activity. And earlier in this episode, uh, I mentioned the whole dream catcher activity that can take place of your card all right maybe getting on uh, and making an avatar that could take place of your card you could say hey you have to include with your avatar three things that make you who you are or what you like and that's a way to get that same information most uh, schools out there have some type of a learning management system now that has all of their uh, their parents numbers so you don't need that you don't need anyone's email because you should know that it's pretty uniform at schools it's first last name at wherever you are dot edu or dot org you don't need that stuff yeah get to what you need and that's what, what it is is you need to know your students yep the other thing is you got to get them to work together because that's what we want to do. We want to make a collaborative atmosphere for these students. So why waste that first day? Get them to start working with each other on an activity that may not be useful for your content, but it's useful to build relationships and build collaboration and get them to introduce themselves to one another. Yeah, the first days, it should be a really great opportunity, not to teach necessarily, but just to kind of set the stage for what your class is going to be. Um, I think what we would push more than anything is to just try and come up with something unique different and fun for them to experience. I'm a big fan of the scavenger hunt. I think just because, again, as a chemistry teacher, my classroom is also a lab and there's tons of cool stuff, instruments, glassware, uh, weird pieces of equipment that they've never seen. So it kind of, I mean, it lends itself super naturally for me to have them sort of do a little around the room scavenger hunt because there is so many things to find and also learn about. It kind of is, is educational, which is an extra great tie-in if you can do it. Um, but it gets them up, it gets them talking to each other. And like you said, guys, it kind of sets the scene for what your class is going to be all about. So on top of that, use the scavenger hunt to go over, uh, you know, the cautions of the lab and the rules of the lab. Yep. All right. So without turning on the Bunsen burner, demonstrate some improper practices and using the Goose Chase EDU app or just taking a picture of it and throwing it in a Google Doc or Google Slides, show or re- reenact some bad behavior or some things that could hurt you in the lab, all right? Yep. And you have to do one on broken glass. You have to do one with fire or hot plates. You have to do one with uh, gloves and goggles and all that stuff. And they're going to be working together. They're going to become more comfortable. It might be awkward at first, but eventually yeah. they'll get in the swing of yeah, it. Of course. And, and then uh, you're done with that. 
and it was a fun little activity and you give them points and the next thing you know uh, they're ready to go and if you're thinking that you okay great i don't have a science lab with lots of stuff around the room to find doesn't matter i know we've got a colleague who does a, an escape the room on the first day of school and it's sort of that same theme uh, where you don't necessarily need a whole bunch of things to find you can place them there yourself and plan it out i think you were involved a little bit with that one right yeah we, we did a couple uh, of first day ones last year. The whole uh, social studies history department did a welcome to the high school for the freshmen. So we did 18 escape the rooms, one for each freshman class. Oh, wow. And uh, over the first week. And that introduced them to the administration. That introduced them to uh, where the lunch spots are in the, the school. That introduced them to where the nurse's office, athletic trainer, uh, where they go get changed for gym, all that stuff. And uh, it also brought in some of the policies that they have to abide by. You know, what is the, the rules of the school for lateness? And when do you get detention? Where do you serve detention? That type of stuff. Yeah. And it kind of brings everything in there. And I used uh, a little portion of that to get them familiar with the media center and how to take out books and how to access the databases. So we have all this stuff there and it was a fun way. They worked together and they got some practical knowledge out of it, of the school. The content wasn't there at the time, but later on when they had to uh, come to the media center to get on the databases and look up stuff for a research problem that they're doing inside of their history classroom, they were ready to go. And I I didn't need to go over anything. They watched a video, answered some questions, got a code, and now they have that information. It was a fun way for them to do it. Yeah. I mean, just really think about whatever whatever it is in your room, within your textbooks or uh, online, whatever resources you think the the kids need to know about build that into something fun that they can discover there's also always team building stuff i know some people kind of roll their eyes at that but i think if you get a good engaging team building activity maybe that doesn't take up the whole 45 or 60 minutes that they're in there but just something small to get them talking to each other to get them to know one another and start to get comfortable i think that can always be helpful too yeah whatever time you're losing because you're not going over content there you're gaining because it's going to allow them to work better with each other earlier in the year and i'm a strong believer in that. So this was just a couple of ways that you can get your school year started. And also it was a couple of ways how we suggest you not get your school year started. Take a look at them. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing back from you guys. It's time for the Tick Battle Royale. That's right. It's time for another Tech Battle Royale where Nick and I go mano y mano. We're about ready to throw down two different EdTech apps and prove to one another that one of ours is better than the others. So some of our categories we can do or choose not to do, depending on how we feel, our productivity, screencasting, LMS, STEM, Google extensions, fun and games, a bunch of other stuff. Guys, why don't you just spin the wheel so we can Uh, get this started? Let's get down to it. All right. Looks like we've got Google add-ons and extensions for this, but I think we're going to twist it a little bit and kind of theme this more around. I don't know if anyone has seen online. Um, I guess some, sometimes they're memes. Sometimes it's just in like a blog post, but a lot of times they're called life hacks, creative, interesting ways to sort of get around a problem. A cheat almost is another way to think about it. We thought we'd bring you the same idea today, sort of like a life hack, but in the theme of education, maybe we call them education hacks. I don't really care what you call them. I got a good one for you. Do you want to... Uh, Do you have one of those in mind? Yeah, I have one in mind. I mean, this isn't new to education. There's a site out there called Hack Learning. Okay. 
you know, Matt Miller gets into hack a lot. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we've talked about Matt Miller before. Correct. Yeah. So that's just something to keep in mind. You could go over and check Ditch That Textbook, Ditch That Homework with Alice Keeler. Uh, there's several of those out there, but this kind of plays in line. And I wouldn't doubt if they have already addressed these at some point. Okay. But uh, I know that mine is going to save a lot of time and headache. All right. Well, what do you got? What's your uh, ed hack for today? I, come on. I won like the last 15. I'm going to let you go first. All right. Uh, well, mine is called, it's a technically a Google extension, I believe, Google Chrome a extension, and it's called Save to Google Drive. This is really just a big time saver for if you're ever searching, doing some online research, uh, Googling some stuff, you find a bunch of different sites. I know my kind of old school way of if I find a source or if I find a page that I want to keep all that information for, I would either screenshot it or this is probably the stupidest way to do it, but I highlight all the text and all the pictures and everything that comes with the, the big giant highlight and I just copy paste into a Word doc or a Google doc, depending on what I got. This is a disclosure. He does cite his sources. Yep, yeah, yeah, definitely with citing sources. And um, I just kind of keep a running list of all the stuff I found in that way. But it's really time consuming. It gets super messy. Uh, so save to Google Drive. That's the official name. Save to Google Drive, like I said, is a Google extension that adds a little button to the top of your search bar in Google Chrome. And when you click that button, it automatically saves the web content you're looking at or browser screenshots. You can set it up so it does that too. If you just want an image of whatever the browser is showing, it automatically puts it straight into your Google Drive. So there's no copying, pasting, there's no organizing, there's no doing anything other than clicking this little button on the top of your page. Now it's in a document in your Google Drive so you can just go there and look over all the stuff you've saved as you need it. I don't know how you can get any easier than that. My whole thing is literally one click. What that's, you got? that's awesome. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, that's awesome. I've used it before. Okay. Uh, one thing I do like about that is uh, when you do that one click, you could do another click and organize it into your Google Drive, which is amazing. It lets you actually kind of move it around and put it in a certain folder. So the organization piece gets a lot easier too. Yeah, so that's more than one click, but who's counting? I mean, the, but the gist of it, the bulk of the suggestion is one click. I'm sticking with it. All right. Well, mine, you only need to get on one device. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we'll stick with the one. And this is Google Explore. Ooh. You do not need to waste a click to download an extension. You don't need to waste a click to activate your extension and you don't need to waste a click to uh, put it into your Google Drive or organize it into your Google Drive. Okay. This one comes to you. Uh, you could use this in Google Docs, Slides, or Sheets. And it's very simple. You just go up to the tools on your, your toolbar and you go down to Google Explore. All right. What this does is it brings a Google search bar on the right side of your screen and it allows you to search for whatever you want. So if, if I'm making a hyperdoc on Charles Darwin and you know, his early life, his uh, life as a naturalist, you know, the voyage on the HMMS Beagle. I think I got those letters right. It's been a while yeah. since I, I taught that. I know it's the Beagle. I'm not sure what the letters are though. But anyway, you could go over to this taskbar. You, you can search for Charles Darwin. You could click on images and then you could just drag those images over to your Google Doc. If you just search the web, not the image portion of Google, it brings up some general information of when he was born, uh, when he died, where he was buried, that mm. type of stuff. And it's all right there for you. Now, yes, when you click on a button to save a website or whatever, you yeah. can get that same information, but you still have to open it up in a separate tab and you got to look at it. With mine, all you have to do is open up Google 
Google Explorer on the right side of it and the information's there and then you could type into your document. So really I'm eliminating two uh, web pages and I'm eliminating, uh, you know, just having to go find it later on. I could just search for it right into my Google Doc or slide or sheet. What is this one called? This is called Google Explorer. Write that one down, everybody. That sounds super helpful. It sounds awesome because I do, uh, the one knock with save to Google Drive is like you said, you still kind of have to open those things up to view them. It sounds like yours cuts that out and lets you put it all in one doc. This is upsetting because I had it in my mind. I was going to come at you hard today and pretty much like not let you win. But I don't think I've, I really don't think I can. I mean, yours, it actually are two things. They sort of do the same thing. Yours just does it a little quicker, more effectively. It's a little neater. It's a little neater, a little cleaner. You know, I I feel myself growing professionally right here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I don't know. You could call me sensei or master or whatever you want to do for the week. Yeah. Let's, let's not get crazy. I don't know if we're going to give you any special titles for this, but I'm pretty sure Geis's Google Explorer, you said? Is that what it's called? Uh, yes. All right. It's the Explore tool okay. in the tools uh, menu at the top of your menu bar in Docs, Slides, and Sheets. All right. So check out the tools menu for, for Geis's pick for today. I'm pretty sure he's the winner just because of how neat and clean that is, despite winning the last few in my best intentions to come at him hard today. You know what's great? As the winner, I get to make the rules. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a victory speech today, but I'm going to make you read it. I was going to say, I kind of wanted to read the victory speech. Well, you're going to read it. That sounds like a win for me. I don't have to write it. I just get to read it. That's it. All right, let's do it. This is Nick Johnson reading for the true victor of this episode's Tech Battle Royale, Eric Geis. Reading his victory speech is my punishment for losing. Obviously, Geis has watched too many episodes of Impractical Jokers. As the start of the school year approaches and the stress and excitement slowly builds, it's important to remember to stay calm, stay focused, and stay motivated. Albert Einstein once said, if you want to live a happy life, tie it to a goal, not to people or objects. As a teacher, the idea of setting goals is paramount amidst our busy schedules and crazy days. So whether you're a new teacher or a returning one, think about what can be reasonably accomplished and go for it. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at WeGotTech or follow along on our website, gottech.com. Until next time.